everyone and welcome to The Scope. Our student-run and recorded podcast is put on by the Student Collaborative on Health Policy, a student-run group that works with Duke's Margolis Center on all health policy-related matters. I'm Sahana, a junior at Duke studying economics, and I'm joined by my partners, Prasmesh and Huzefa at Duke as well. Today, we'll be talking with Sangeeta Vijaygopalan on the effects of COVID on health policy administration. Thanks for joining us, Sangeeta. And would you like to sort of give us an introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. So I'm Sangeeta. I'm currently a health center administrator. So it's a clinic manager for Triangle Family Practice in Durham, North Carolina. And I've been in the role pretty recently, about seven months. And then most recently, I moved from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I worked at Michigan Medicine in our surgical services department, working on um, lots of different projects based on OR throughput, some strategic initiatives, and lots of other fun things. Um, so excited to be here and excited to have this conversation. So maybe starting a little bit about your time at Michigan Medicine, since you were there right when COVID started or right when it was hitting, how did the pandemic affect or like really shock the system from your experience? Yeah, so I will say it was a very intense, I want to say like ramp up just right when everything started, but also just a really wonderful example of teamwork and how the system really pulled together. Initially, when we started to ramp up, we decided to open something called the Regional Infection Control Unit, which is the RICU. That's how I'm going to refer to it, which is where we put all of our COVID patients. And it's it was staffed by you know several different staff members, and we had specific people trained in ICU care. It was kind of the airflow was like kept like within the unit. And so that was one of the things, one of the things that was really great about it. So it was pretty quick to kind of ramp up that unit, get that staffed, get all the equipment up there so that when we started to see cases ramp up, we had places to take patients. I will say when the numbers really, really, really started to ramp up, we did convert several of our inpatient units to COVID wings. At one point, we did also convert our PACU, which is where patients go after surgery, into a COVID wing. So it was very much all hands on deck. I think the other shock to the system was that we stopped doing surgeries right around the time COVID hit. So it was like March 25th. And we started to ramp down all of our ORs, only doing essential surgeries or emergency surgeries that needed to happen. And then that was another part. And then uh, a lot of employees, including myself, we got reassigned and redeployed. So nurses and you know people that were checking in patients and outpatient clinics, they all got reassigned to other units, other places, wherever they could go. And the thing that I did was I got reassigned or kind of I volunteered to work in our employee health clinic. And so what ended up happening is they ended up standing up a call center for any employees that had a COVID exposure or um, were diagnosed with COVID. And so we kind of spent, you know, a really short amount of time finding a space, getting equipment set up, staffing it with nurses, right? And then coming up with a workflow on how to make sure that we were evaluating whether, you know, employees had COVID or not. And the very interesting thing about it was that when COVID first started, every single day there was a new workflow or something new that had come about, a new symptom. We decided that nausea was a new symptom. And so it was really hard to keep up with 
every single new protocol, every single new symptom that came up. And so that was really interesting, but I spent a lot of time just, you know, thinking through the operations of running that call center, really helping the manager of employee health, who was fantastic, kind of run the clinic, helping, you know, work through any workflow issues. If we wanted to get patients tested, where could they go to a drive-through? So it was just all in all, just a really intense experience. And I will say that like, I'm so appreciative of healthcare workers, of all of our frontline staff, of every single person that put in 60, 70, 80 hours a week that were risking their lives to see these COVID patients. It was just an incredible feat of teamwork. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I think it's really interesting when you talk about how you had to sort of like change the workflows from the beginning of COVID to the end. So, you know, as you were sort of leaving Michigan, you know, COVID was definitely ramped up. Did you guys have like a sort of standardized workflow or system that you found or were you guys more like adapting every day? So we, we kind of came up with our standard workflows of, you know, what we did if a patient called in and needed to get tested, what we did if a patient called in um, and needed to be put out of work. So those were pretty standard. We built some kind of like a, like a website or a web system that our quality department built. And then you could go in and you could enter the symptoms that you you were having every day. And based on those symptoms, it would automatically send you a letter that said you were cleared for work or you were not cleared for work, right? So those were really, really in place. But your question about like whether it was changing, you know, still, I think, yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the frustrating things about COVID is that we had all these wonderful workflows in place. We had our systems in place. But we had so many different changes and so many things happening that, you know, anyone that was working in it had to learn to adapt. Yeah, definitely. And I know in your current role right now, you sort of oversee day-to-day operations of, you know, the Duke Primary Clinic. Do you want to sort of talk about your work there and what sort of changed due to COVID there? Yeah, so... That is a great question. So I will say that I could tell you a little bit about what happened when COVID first started at my practice, because I've asked kind of, you know, what they've been doing. One of the main things, and they also did this at Michigan, was to add a screener at the door. So someone that um, was stationed at the door, whether it was a clinical staff member or maybe a clerical staff member that would screen every single patient that came in, asking them if they've been tested in the past two weeks, if they have any symptoms. And these questions have also evolved and changed as COVID has gotten more and more serious and, and, and complicated as we kind of went through. And so that is the main thing that they, one of the main things they started at the clinic that continues at the clinic. And so we want to make sure that we're temperature screening every single person that walks through that door. We also decreased our visitor policy. And this is something that happened in um, Michigan as well. And, you know, throughout the United States where, you know, as good as it was to do for the safety of our staff and our patients, it was really hard for our patients to not be able to bring their family members in or to be restricted to only having one person accompany a child instead of a whole family. And so that was kind of the second thing. The third thing that happened was we actually utilized um, virtual visits at our clinic and that we are still utilizing them now. When COVID first started at Triangle Family Practice, they actually switched to the majority of virtual visits. So video visits, telephone visits, just to reduce the traffic through the clinic. And we are still utilizing that. It's something that we're trying to reduce the number of people coming to the clinic. So I like to ask my providers at the clinic to look 
um, ahead, you know, one, two, three weeks out. And if there's a patient that's coming in that can be converted to a video visit, and that doesn't need to come in, that we absolutely do that. We also have patients that if they come in and they're, it's potentially questionable, they might show like one or two symptoms. We do always connect with the provider to say, you know, what's the safest thing to do for this patient and this staff member? Can we convert it to a virtual visit or do we want this patient to come into the clinic? So those are some pretty good things. I think in terms of differences at Michigan Medicine, there aren't a ton. Also because in at Michigan, I was very much focused on like the inpatient surgical services side. And it was very interesting that we started to ramp up, you know, normal operations right as I was leaving. And same thing here, you know, we're starting to get back to normal, but our patient census is still pretty low. And so it's just been very eye-opening to see how primary care kind of deals with this versus, you know, kind of the inpatient side at Michigan Medicine, where it's more so like the surgical services. Yeah, I think you brought up a really great point, especially about telehealth and sort of technology and what it's really revealed about like the power of technology in this pandemic. You talked about having somebody screen like for temperature as soon as people come into the clinic. Has that process been sort of like automated at all? Because I know there are like a lot of like automation systems. So I'm sure you guys like at the clinic learned that, you know, like instead of utilizing a person there to do that, it can just be automated. And then secondly, you know, you did talk about like sort of the telehealth, like virtual visit aspect. How have you seen like doctors reactions to that since you are sort of a liaison between doctors and patients as well? To my knowledge right now in primary care, and especially at my clinic, we don't have an automation for patients coming into the clinic, but we do have a very awesome employee app that automates your kind of screening every day. So employees also have to screen every single day, take their temperature every single day and attest that they don't have any symptoms. So we have you know, a sign-in sheet that is great that patients go through every day. And then there's an app that Duke came out with that is awesome and you can just answer the questions and it'll give you kind of a daily pass, right? And so that's how technology has kind of influenced the employee side of it. I think there might be something for patients as well. We just haven't instituted it at our clinic at this point. And then your second question, which was kind of the effects of telehealth, I think that's also really awesome. So it's been kind of interesting from both the patient and the provider perspective. So it seems like from my feedback and, and kind of that whole thing, my providers have a very much embraced telehealth. I think they've been really open to it. I think they understand, you know, the implications of why it's more safe for them and, and for the patients. I will say that there's, you know, the frustrating part of technology that's kind of coming through where calls can drop, where things cannot work, where maybe we do a telehealth visit for something that should have been an office visit or should have been something in person. So it's been kind of twofold in that sense. Patients, I think from my perspective and the feedback that I've heard is also they've had mixed reactions. So I've had a lot of patients. In fact, I talked to somebody today that wasn't really clear why they had converted their visit from an office visit to a telephone visit. And there just wasn't clarity on the reasoning behind that. There are a lot of patients as well that have given the feedback that they want to come in, they want to see their doctor, they want to see their PCP, and they want to be in the clinic. I think, you know, both perspectives are great. I've also had some patients come in. And another thing that we've kind of done is, you know, we try to make sure that we're social distancing at the clinic, but our clinic is only so big and we can only social distance to a certain extent. And so one of the things that we've also asked patients to do 
that is either a patient satisfier or dissatisfier is to actually have patients wait in their cars. And so we're not, you know, congregating all in one place. We're not, you know, not able to socially distance, but rather have them wait in their car and get called to come back in the clinic when they're ready to be pulled back. And so kind of mixed reactions on that as well. But some patients have loved it. Some patients have not loved it. And so we're just kind of, you know, going through things. We get the feedback that a patient doesn't want to do virtual visit, then that's totally fine. But I think right now, you know, from my perspective, from the provider's perspective, probably the safest thing to do is to do as many virtual visits as we can do, as long it is as as long as it is beneficial to the patient, right? We always want to make sure that we're doing what's best for the patient. They don't feel comfortable doing a virtual visit. If they want to come in, if they feel more comfortable doing that, then we always want to make sure that we're, you know, putting them at the center and that they're getting what they need. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting to hear like day-to-day operations of a clinic and how that's all sort of changed due to this like unforeseen, like huge global pandemic. I, I think what's really interesting is also what you said about like the telehealth, virtual visits, how that's all sort of changed. Moving sort of to the policy and administration side of things with regards to telehealth and just in general, you know, how has the sort of like regulatory and reimbursement side of that worked? I know you work with that side of it as well. How has like providing the administrative direction and whether it's like coordinating with insurance companies, could you give us a sort of a, you know, broad overview of how that sort of changed you to COVID and your, your role with that? Yeah. So that is a great question. I have a little bit of insight on that. So right now the reimbursement for, in my understanding, for telemedicine is pretty good. I, I haven't really met a lot of insurance companies that have said anything or, or you know, declined reimbursement. I will say telephone visits is a different story. Telephone visits don't seem to be reimbursed as much as, you know, video visits. So, you know, we're always going to do whatever the patient is most comfortable with, right? But, you know, there is a consideration for potentially moving away from telephone visits and just solely doing video visits. But unfortunately, that is not under my control and a little bit higher above me, but definitely a consideration and definitely a question that I've had from patients who might have not had a telephone visit covered or who might have not had a video visit covered and kind of working through how do we make sure that they have the right information and that we as a clinic have the right information for what we can offer them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know now all the talk is about the vaccine and who's going to get it, the prioritization of that. Do you have any sort of insight from the administrative side, how that's been working in your clinic? There are talks and plans. I don't know how far in the future that it may be a possibility. You know, one of the things that we're having to consider is can we store the vaccine, right? And I don't think we can store the Pfizer vaccine. I think we can store the Moderna vaccine and we have, you know, facilities capabilities and what that looks like. But we have Duke and especially Duke Primary Care has done a phenomenal job standing up vaccine clinics in a very short amount of time, almost within the week, within a couple of days. And so I actually have a colleague of mine that is running a vaccine clinic and they're seeing, they started to ramp up from like 60 to 70 patients to about 100 patients a day and making sure that we were adding patients directly to our vaccine schedule. But now we're actually adding patients directly to a wait list. And so we're working through that wait list for every single 
group that gets approved to have a vaccine. And so I think it's been an incredible effort. Those vaccine clinics have been staffed by normal staff from other clinics. So think about it as having your normal primary care clinic running with all your doctors seeing patients, but also running kind of a second clinic in the exact same space at the same amount of time. So think about staffing that clinic, making sure that patients are going through what that flow looks like, making sure that everybody gets to where they need to go and that we're observing and monitoring those patients, right? So lots of different things to think through. And so we as a team at Triangle Family Practice, but also with several other clinics, have been sending staff over to those clinics to help support, you know, the patients that are coming in. And so we do kind of a weekly staffing call to kind of think through the needs at all the different clinics. And so that's definitely been a consideration kind of in vaccine distribution. In terms of the, you know, behind the scenes, there's been a lot of support from Duke and from administration in supporting employees to get the vaccine. You know, there's no requirement for them to get it, but we want to make sure that we provide employees with the right information for the time to get the vaccine and making sure that they know everything they need to know. So that's been a really interesting process where you have to coordinate if an employee is going to get the vaccine, how do we cover that employee during that time for them to take an hour to an hour and a half to do that? And with you know the different vaccines that have come through, there've also been side effects where employees have been out. So we have to think about staffing. And so it's been honestly just a whirlwind. Things have been moving really fast, but I'm you know hoping to kind of see that impact soon. Hopefully that herd immunity is coming as we get more and more people vaccinated. And I think, you know, we're just kind of waiting for more information from administration to whether, you know, all the clinics will be distributing the vaccine. But there's definitely some movement already where our employees are getting access to make sure that we could look at the state vaccine list and be able to print all of the vaccines. So we just got access for all of our staff. And then we've just been kind of pulling together to understand how we can support the vaccine clinics, how we can make sure patients are getting scheduled. I think a lot of patients, you know, have been calling to figure out, are they still on the wait list, making sure they're still on the wait list. You know, there's a lot of anxiety around the vaccine, around getting the vaccine, around making sure that we're going through the tiers correctly. And I think Duke has done a really great job, but we just want to make sure that we appease, you know, the fears of the patients and just make sure we're there for them and are answering questions and doing what's right. I think one more part of that is that an impact of the vaccine is that our providers have been getting a lot of questions from patients about whether they should get the vaccine, what the vaccine side effects are. So lots of increase in my chart messages in calls into the clinic. So that's been a really big impact as well. And I think my providers have just done a wonderful job addressing questions, providing the right education. They've also spent some time educating our staff on different side effects, on people that are anxious about getting this vaccine that, you know, might have been rushed, right? And I say rushed in quotations. And so it's been truly a group effort for the providers. Yeah, I know, definitely. I, I think you bring up an interesting point when you say, like, providers have to deal with sort of the clinical side of this from, like, patients asking them questions to like the administrative side in that they sort of have like twice the job by going to like vaccine clinics and helping out there and their normal job, you know, and like the primary like care clinics. So how have you guys like as administrators sort of like used all the information you had, whether it's through like your organizing systems, like management systems to make sure that they're not being like overstaffed or there's not certain like clinics that are understaffed. Is there any insight you can maybe give into that? 
Yeah, so that I, I think is a good question. And just one point of clarification is that to my knowledge, we haven't had a lot of providers staff the vaccine clinics. I think the opportunity is always there for providers to do it. I will say that some of my providers have actually volunteered to go and give vaccines at Duke Raleigh or Duke Regional or Big Duke in my perspective, they haven't gotten to a specific vaccination clinic that I've known of, but you know, they've always offered their help. And I think we're always open to having them come and do it for your question about, you know, absolutely burnout, making sure our staff aren't overworked, our providers aren't overworked. We have been, I think DPC does a really great job of like pulling together as a team. So my practice is part of a pod and that pod is based on all of the different practices in our region. And so there's about five different practices. So if there's a staffing need, if there is a, you know, critical need for somebody to go over, well, we'll all kind of pull together and figure out, you know, what can we do at our clinic to send another staff member over that might need someone. I think there's also a consideration of the number of patients that are coming into every um, clinic every day, right? So if we're having only a hundred patients come in, do we decrease the number of staff coming through? If we're canceling, you know, appointments due to X, Y, Z, do we adjust staffing based on that? Right. So that's kind of the system we've been going through at your question on, you know, making sure that the providers are, you know, being taken care of and, and really considered, I think also speaks to, us leaning on our colleagues, our friends, and our different practices to help triage some of those messages that are coming in. You know, I will totally side with patients that, you know, very much want to hear from their provider and want to communicate with their provider. But a lot of our systems that are in place, we have LPNs and we have a MA or a medical assistant or different clinical staff reviewing those messages beforehand to understand if there's something that we could answer ourselves, right? And then anything that couldn't be answered, kind of sending that to the provider so they can help answer any other questions. I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. And then based on this, there's also one other thing that I should talk through. So there's also respiratory care centers that were set up at Duke Primary Care who you know, mainly saw COVID patients. Every provider within DPC, unless there was a you know, health reason or, or something else, would staff those clinics once a month. And these respiratory care centers or RCCs were actually you know, just normal primary care clinics that were converted to a different clinic and all patients from that clinic were diverted to other locations. And I'm so sorry about that. My dog is being a little weird. And so though that I think was a really incredible team effort on that part. And I will say that not being a provider and not speaking for them, I will say that that was a lot of stress on the providers to be working those clinics, to be seeing those COVID patients without a vaccine. You know, I heard about that anxiety. I got that feedback about providers working there. I think people feel a lot better now working at the RCCs because they have the vaccine. But I think there was absolutely, you know, resources for stress management, mental health that existed at Michigan when I was working and people that would come in and check on the employees. I don't, I can't speak to the specific resources that Duke has for providers, but I am confident that they had very similar things here as well to under, you know, to understand and to make sure that people were doing okay. Um, and sort of transitioning to our last section, we talked a about a lot of like flaws that you thought were revealed in our health systems due to COVID today, how you guys as administration dealt 
like with those and some of the biggest learnings you had, what are like the main changes that you think you'd like to see from a healthcare admin perspective side of, you know, primary care clinic post COVID in health systems? Yeah. So I think number one, you hit the nail on the head is the um, utilization of virtual visits and telephone visits and just the opportunity for patients to not have to drive and not have to come into a clinic where there's other sick people and there's other things that they could be exposed to. And so I think that is probably number one, the biggest takeaway. I think the second thing, you know, that we've really done is just shined a light on the like essential workers and on the people that have really taken the brunt of this pandemic. I will say that there was a large showing, and this was before I got to my clinic, from the community in South Durham around the practice where they came in and they brought food and they brought groceries and and lots of different things to treat the frontline workers, to let them know that you know, they were truly heroes in their eyes, which I think they're heroes all the time. But I just think that is something, and I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, this big learning, but it's something from the administration side to just really appreciate the work, the workers that we have, the work that we do, and just, you know, everything that's been done in this past year has been incredible. We've had so many challenges. Nothing has been easy and nothing has not come without, you know, you know, griping or things changing or, you know, different things happening, but just to really talk through the appreciation for our staff and just the recognition for our staff is I think also something that I would love to see continue from an administration perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, all of this like COVID deaths going down and anything wouldn't have been possible without like the help of our like front frontline healthcare workers ever since the beginning of the pandemic because for a lot of us this has sort of like stopped our lives momentarily and then we go on about our days, but for a lot of other people like you who also sort of see this up close, it's really been like a constant. So definitely. Yeah, thank you so much again Sangeeta for sharing us sharing with us your experiences and yeah hope you you know continue to do great work at the uh, Duke Primary Care Clinic. Thank you to Sankita for sitting down with us. Thank you to our producer Sahana and thank you to Charlotte and Josie our editor-in-chief and the entire Scope team and most of all thank you to our listeners. Tune in next week to hear the latest news from the Scope.